Welcome, one and all, to another delightful and uh, squishy episode of Stinklings, where we talk about bad fantasy. Absolutely. This is a particularly squishy episode that we have here. I love how squishy this is going to be, and um, its squishiness is just a delight. So, uh, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's sort of go and talk about fantasy-ish things happening in our lives before we get into the news. So, like, right now I'm making a Bantaloin surprise. A what now? Now this, I'm, I'm not surprised you didn't immediately recognize that. That is from the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh yes, I yeah I do remember that. I I wish yeah. I could forget it, but no, it's it, still there, lodged in my memory forever. What that what the Star Wars Holiday Special does is it takes sort of like an iron of what looks vaguely like Star Wars, and it just sort of heats it in this flame of discontent and evil for until it's about glowing red hot, and then it and then it lifts this this piece of molten metal which is no longer recognizable as star wars anymore and then it slowly presses it into your brain until it is seared there and there's just a brand in the shape of this molten quasi star wars thing yes it's like melting peeps in your microwave for two hours and then the peeps are stuck to your microwave forever and the microwave is your brain and you can't help you can't look away one of the moments that you can look away from the least is the point where Mala, who is Chewbacca's wife, uh, using a TV show, uh, a cooking show, mm-hmm. begins to cook for the family a Bantaloin surprise. And the Bantaloin surprise, the recipe is very, very simple. You're looking at one raw Bantaloin, uh, a sprinkling of spices, and some liquid. Not, and that's the recipe. Not any specifics on what that what the liquid is? Uh, the show does not specify. It has to be enough liquid to cover, I assume, because there's a lot of whipping and stirring that happens after oh, that. Oh, okay, now that's a visual. Oh, I just made myself. Oh. There's mm. so much whipping and stirring. Okay, that's... Um, no. Do you remember the exact sequence, Laura? I wish I didn't. <laughs> well, but, but, but seeing is how you do. So, I think it's... Uh, which man mm-hmm. is it? Which guy from the Carol Burnett show? Harvey Corman? Is that the yes, guy? Harvey yes, Corman, I believe that's him. Who plays many parts mm-hmm. in this show, unfortunately. Uh, including, but not limited to, a four-armed cooking show host. He's uh, He does not leave a good impression of his talents, which is tragic. But um, So mm-hmm. there he is in his getup, and he starts, he, he says, stir, whip, Stir, whip, 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 stir, I believe, is is the sequence. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, like, stir, whip, correct. stir, whip, 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 stir. And then it just gets more frenzied and, like, hair starts falling out of his wig. And, mm-hmm. yes, I do remember. I I think everybody remembers that. Even people but, who haven't seen it. Now, now here is the, here's the million-dollar <clears throat> question. Mm. Do you remember the sequence when he adds beating into it? No, I think I erased. I managed to erase that from my memory. Okay, actually. I think it's. I think it's beat, beat, stir, stir, whip, stir, whip. I think that's how it goes. See, I only remember the stir whip part because um, that's the part that was just repetitive enough to have lodged itself permanently into my consciousness. So mm-hmm. at night, when I'm trying to sleep and I, I'm, I'm suffering from insomnia, I will hear Harvey Corman's best drag queen voice in my head just faintly Mm -hmm. in the distance and it just lulls me to (laughs) it doesn't lull me to sleep but it certainly keeps me up all night (laughs) come now cooking can be fun now everyone stir whip stir whip 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 stir and then i'm making breakfast in the morning and it's like no please harvey please stop no more so I'm, I'm making a bantaloin surprise myself, except instead of a bantaloin, I'm using a pork loin. And instead of a smidgen of spices, I've made a marinade out of Worcestershire sauce. Well, my wife actually made it. Becca made this marinade out of Worcestershire sauce, garlic, rosemary, balsamic, and olive oil, and a bit of orange mango juice. Ooh, so this is the official 
recipe for bantaloin from the Star Wars Christmas special? Well, this it's my take on it. And and instead of whipping and stirring, we're marinating it and we're going to cook it for about an hour. So that that's what, what's going on in my life that's related to fantasy. Is there anything going on in your life that's related to fantasy? Um, I... Oh, well, I recently started reading the... Uh, I guess it's a young adult novel. I'm not quite sure. It's called Children of Blood and Bone. I recently bought it, and it's kind of an interesting new take on fantasy in that it takes from African um, folklore, mythology, and culture. Oh, I saw this one, and I've been meaning to read it. Yes, I actually have a big, fat, hardcover copy at my house that I I bought, because... Whenever I walk into a bookstore, I black out, and then I walk out at the end of it, and I have many books that I didn't mean to buy. But yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm reading that, and first chapters so far. And two I'm, fewer kidneys. Yes, I, I've sold many. I re, my kidneys regenerate, and I keep selling them for more books. <clears throat> it's the only way I could imagine doing it because I don't make enough money to buy all the books that I keep on getting. Me so. neither. This is the first book I've bought in like two years. <laughs> But, oh, okay. but um, the other books I get from, like, I borrow from my parents. Anyway, but this, mm. it's a good book so far. I'm a little, the pacing's a little, like, a little bit wonky, but um, I'm really liking the world building and the characters are interesting so far. But it's definitely a, it's the debut novel, and I can see that it is the debut novel for an author, but it's a good debut so far. So I'm, I'm excited. It's cool. So that's awesome. You know, debut novels are always interesting because they can either be so, so good because like it's the person's masterwork that they've spent their whole lives doing, or they can be like, I'm still learning the ropes, but nevertheless, that, yeah. that is one that I've been meaning to read. Yeah, it's, I really, I don't know. I really like it. I don't know if, well, I'm not going to presume, but it's, it's really good so far, and I'm I've I'm excited for it. And it just struck me, you know, fantasy is really really hard to get right because on one hand you have to write a good book, but at the same time you also have to create like an entire world while you're doing that. So world building is something I really was excited to talk about today. So so here's the thing. I read recently, for the first time, after the recommendations of many people, many, 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 many people, I read a Brandon Sanderson book. And I thought, okay, of all the book series that I've seen of his, The Way of Kings, I read the prologue, and I was kind of like, this is good, I can tell it's well written, but it didn't suck me in. Elantris, I I don't it didn't really do anything for me. Concept didn't particularly intrigue me. Mm, And then I saw the cover of Mistborn, and I'm like, now that's an interesting cover. It's so you know, I judged a book by its cover and I picked that one up. And that's the thing. This is okay for authors out there, it's I'm an illustrator. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can tell you from in my own experience and from my own bookworminess, people are way more likely to pick up your book if it has a really good cover. Like, yeah, seriously, it you have to have a good presentation, even if it's a crap book. That's how and that's how Twilight sold many so so many copies. Really, I mean, <laughs> it was very good design. Let's be honest. Yes, it was. That first cover is probably the one of the best I've ever seen. Actually, anyway, I just did. <laughs> I've been doing the cover art for my sister's um, self-published books. <laughs> so, well, that's the thing that you are an artist. Yeah, and I have I have been trained, and that's the sort of thing I've been trained for. But also, in regards to our sister, she actually has published books through a publisher before. And her light, latest published book, it was called Mile 21, and it was a really, I thought it was actually a really, really good book. But, it was an award-winning book. Yeah. It actually won literary awards. But it didn't sell, like, a ton of copies. And I think a great deal of that had to do with the really crappy cover design. Because they made it... It's this really, like, hard-hitting story about, like, grief and, you know, hard life stuff. And the book cover made it look like it was just your typical chick flick rom-com book that you read on an airplane. It looked like it was an att- like a, a discarded cover for Clueless. Exactly! And it was and it was just, it was really not at all reflective of what the book was actually about. So, you may think this isn't about world building. It is, actually, because it introduces the reader to the world that the book is 
set in. It's the reader's first impression of what the book is about. So mm-hmm. it needs to be consistent. And and so so with Mistborn, there's actually uh, two covers I've seen for this book, and one is way better than the other, mm-hmm. but both accurately show what the book is about, which is Vin, my queen, Vin. <laughs> my my dearest character of all time, Vin. Both of the covers have Vin, but one, she's just sort of sitting there like staring at the viewer like, what? And the other <laughs> is where she's like jumping through the air with a knife. That one's a good one. Yeah, you want to, you, you don't want a static pose. Unless Mm-mm. it's like you're, it's stare. Unless it's a horror novel and the character is staring creepily into the camera. So, I did read Mistborn, and I will report I loved it. It was I thought it was a delight to read. The characters were interesting. Becca's reading it and is kind of having a different view of some of the characters, and that's fine. That's yeah. we all have different responses. Yeah. Of all the characters, though, there's one who serves kind of as the emotional anchor of the entire story, mm-hmm. and that is our beloved Queen Vin, <laughs> whom we love and whose happiness is the sole purpose of this story existing and making any sense and making me want to read more is because I want to see Vin happy. I don't know. That's really hard to tell who your favorite character is, John. You have to be more specific. Vin needs to be happy. (laughs) So, So we talked before about how you need your world to be grounded in something that people care about. Mm-hmm. Just like they say, no one cares how much you know till they know how much you care. This idea can be applied in fantasy world building as well. It doesn't matter anything about your world building if we don't care about the people in the world. You need to start with character, mm-hmm. I believe, humbly, as a not published, yeah. not, um, well, not successful author. And really, and this was something that was brought up Um, there's this channel I follow on YouTube called Overly Sarcastic Productions, and one of the videos Mm -hmm. that they produced was called, um, Planet of Hats, and it's about the trope of, you know, giving your civilization just, like, one defining characteristic, and the Red, the presenter, pointed out that when you're world building, what you really have to do to have everything kind of flow and make sense is present a reason for like everything happening so like um what's the what's the geography like what's the weather like why do people do things a certain way how does this have an impact on their character so like with mistborn which i i've read the first book but it's been a while so forgive me if i'm a little bit floppy flippy floppy on the details uh, oh, but we'll get the, to that. the world they live in, it's, it's pretty, it's like post kind of post-apocalyptic. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair description. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's a very tough environment that they live in. I re- the one thing I remember distinctly that I liked about it was, um, Vin see, like, here's a description of how plants were like once green and like, Mm-hmm. It has thin stems and stuff, and she like has trouble picturing it because she grew up in the war in a world where plants are like brown and have thick stems and are really tough because the environment is just so hostile that it can't grow, you know, green plants. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a thing, and it, that's something that contributes to Vin's character because she grew up in that tough environment. That's kind of what important an important part of world building is about: is you have those very basic building blocks of like what the environment is like, what the climate is like, like why people do things the way that they do. You don't just insert things that you think are cool because they sound cool. You know, the characters have to be reflective of their environment as well. I think that he did a fantastic job, Brandon of giving us a character that we care about, Mm -hmm. giving us this emotional anchor into this world, but who is shaped by her environment. That's part of what makes it so intriguing is because this person we care about lives in this world and is having to deal with the way things are in this world. I, I think I should put a giant spoiler warning here for the entire original Mistborn trilogy. Vin. She, her story is so interesting. I even like Kelsier. He reminds me above all of, um, oh gosh, Full Metal Alchemist. Lieutenant Hughes? Lieutenant Hughes, the guy with the, who was really adorable and had a wife and daughter that he loved. Yeah, yes. that, that we all loved and we were all horrified when he, spoilers. Yes. <laughs> Why did you have to say that? His friend? I, 
Could you? Yeah, his friend, because they were going to take over the government together. You mean Roy Mustang? That's the main right. character who's actually one of the main characters. Well, of the- Edward's the main character. <laughs> I know. Come on. It's just hilarious to me that you remember Lieutenant Hughes a lot better than you well, remember. Well, we spent a lot Roy more time Mustang. with him. We we I don't, he was the emotional anchor. I know. Lieutenant I think that's Hughes. lovely that you remember Lieutenant Hughes over <laughs> Roy Mustang because I think Roy Mustang is an overrated character, but I yes, you may attack me on that, but yeah. That's that's okay. I, I definitely, between the two of them, I don't think there's a single person on the planet who prefers Roy Mustang. No. Well, but, some teenage girls, but I'm not going to... Really? I, so many teen... Okay. There were teenage girls really? who preferred Professor Snape over, Hag- you know, literally all the other Harry Potter Were you going characters. to say Hagrid? No, I was going to say... Were you going to say freaking Hagrid, I was going Laura? to say Harry Potter. <laughs> I was not going to say Hagrid, <laughs> I swear. Also, I have You're a cold, my date, so Harry. I'm a little bit... My, my pronunciation of things is a little bit weird. Yeah, you might have been, like, about to say Hagrid, but say it came out Harry, as... Harry, as in ha- uh-huh. Harry Potter. Hmm. So, uh, that's... Let's not make this fanfiction happen. No. Hagrid XOC. <laughs> so they already exist, John. There's no getting past I know. There's, like, hundreds of them. What am I saying? Ugh. There's, like, a thousand of those. Um, yes. So... Kelsier, as a character, reminded me most of Roy Mustang. It's the same idea. He's this, like, swaggerty... Is that a term? Swaggerly, swaggered... He's he's got lots um, of swag. In the real sense, and not double G swag. Yeah. He reminds me of him in that he has that, like... Yeah, I, I kind of have this tragic element to my character, but man, I'm so charismatic sometimes, aren't I? And I like that to an extent, which is why I think it was very wise that Brandon Sanderson made Vin the focus of the story more so. Mm. Though that's debatable because Becca says that uh, Kelsier is too much the focus of the story relative to Vin, and I, I think there's a good case to be made for that. Yeah, but. and honestly, well, okay, two things. First off, I think Roy Mustang, in comparison to Kelsier, what I remember of him is he's a, Roy Mustang's a bit more like, oh yeah, always smile. Yeah, exactly. Roy Mustang's like a bit more like, he's, he's a bit more broody. And I completely forgot what my other point was going to be. So I guess, I'm sorry, whatever, we're just going to continue from there. But you probably got distracted in your thoughts about Hagrid. Yeah, uh why no, John, no, <laughs> stop that. No. So anyway. No. So all this to say No. By the end <laughs> by the end of the first book in the Mistborn series, I was like, that was a fantastic story. Mm-hmm. Like self contained story, I think. Um yeah. where by the end of it, I was just like, yay, now now Vin can go to all the balls and she can have all the pretty dresses because that's all I care about. Give Vin everything that she's wanted all this time. She's fought for it. She nearly died for it. She she killed the Lord Ruler. She has done everything. Oh, and Kelsier's and, dead, by the way. Yeah, yeah, Kelsier's dead. Um, <laughs> in that way, he's a little bit more like Lieutenant Hughes, but uh, so we, we get to the sequel. And I'm like, okay, let's let's read the sequel. And I think Brandon Sanderson, as an incredibly talented, skilled writer, very skillfully creates a narrative that completely miscalculates why I was invested in the book in the first place. <laughs> it was not because of Ellen, of all people, King Dweeb. Like, nobody... I... I Put up with Ellen because he made Vin happy. That was the only reason he was an okay character. He made Vin happy and treated her relatively well. He, she that was good. He was Vin's um, nice arm candy. Yeah, and and I, I liked the dynamic. They actually, I, I did like the dynamic they had at the beginning of the second book, where she's kind of his protector and she's like very jealously guarding him against threats as he's trying to be this very idealistic king and his ideals don't quite mesh in the world. And we had these really cool ideas, like okay, you've you've taken over the kingdom, you've done your revolution now what and that's an interesting thing to explore like now you have to defend your kingdom now you have to feed everyone now you have to administer are you going to betray the ideals that you had are you going to become a dictator so that you can get things done yeah lots of really interesting stuff but none of it matters if vin my beloved queen is not 
the central focus of it and if she does not attain happiness. And spoiler alert, she never attains long-term happiness. <laughs> Ever. Here's how it all ends, just, just to give you an idea. Okay. So boiling it down to the main points, it turns out that the Lord Ruler all along was actually, he became a horrible, brutal dictator so that in his mind, he, he did what he had to do to protect the world from a much greater threat. Okay? Mm. Now then has to figure out how to defeat that threat herself. This is a cool idea. Yes. However, in the process of defeating this threat, she kind of, I'm not going to say she plays second fiddle to anybody because she doesn't, but you know what would be just about the worst thing ever is to take King Dweeb Elland, the guy who, of all the Disney characters, because everyone has to like have a, a Disney character correlate mm-hmm. to be a valid character in my mind, um, just kidding. But he most approximates to, I believe this is the only prince whose name really is Prince Charming in Cinderella. When he, you know, he's trying to annoy his father and that takes a different dynamic in the second book. But in the first book, let's let's pretend the other two books are not canon, which is the only way I can handle life anymore. So <laughs> Prince Charming, where he just parts the sister's the, the wicked stepsisters to, to see Cinderella and he has that like super dweeby look on his face when he does so with his, like his little lips pursed <laughs> and and his like eyes just like resting dweeb face uh, and how long has it been since you've seen this movie Cinderella yes uh probably a while <laughs> but I haven't ever I, know... I haven't ever seen it to to be this anyway real whoa 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 whoa, whoa. okay that is a topic. That for is another, another time, topic but... for another day. We'll have a chat about that later. <laughs> that King Dweeb, Ellen, and where their dynamic, what was sweet about it is that, you know, he, he we put up with this dweebazoid because he makes her happy. And she she can do what she's great at, her her like harsh assassinness, which she can counterbalance with her like coming to grips with her like softer side as she goes to the balls and she opens up and becomes a little bit vulnerable as she begins to like love Ellen. And it's really sweet because she has to protect him. He's this thing that she loves and she's like working so hard to protect him. And then that that was just super sweet. And and then you know what would just be the dumbest thing, in my humble opinion, is to make him a super powerful Mistborn. Yeah, that kind of completely, um, that does kind of negate her role. Haven, you're one step closer to becoming irrelevant in this already extremely male-dominant series, even though it has a female protagonist. I, I Again, I, I don't want to like do a super spoiler here, even though I've spoiled a lot of other things. Let's just say it ends with Vin saving everything, which is cool. And she kind of ascends into another, like, form of existence, kind of. Transcends, evolves. Yeah. However we want to say. And then she's no longer in the story. That's it. That's the end. That's it? Of her character. Oh. She, she vanishes. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And then the next thing we get, it's literally all the other characters who were... I liked them just fine. He wrote good, intriguing characters, but none of them were the emotional anchor to this world. And now the world's fixed. It's it's it was this sort of like traditional fantasy sort of set in post-apocalyptic kind of natural world, and that was really interesting. Now we're back to everything is green and beautiful again. It's idyllic. They kind of have to restart civilization from scratch, as far as I could tell. And and we get what's left with essentially a note for everybody. <laughs> left by well, not by Vin, by a different character. But in the note is this little, like, one-liner. Oh, Vin and Ellen say they're fine, and uh, don't worry, and, uh, you know, it's cool, it's awesome. And uh, while we're at it, um, <laughs> Kelsier also says, here's this awesome thing, here's a, here, you know, how cool. And, and they're fine now. Now you can enjoy this world, all you other characters who were not the emotional anchor of this story, whose stories were interesting, but we did not care about nearly as much. Okay. And... <laughs> Now you guys get to enjoy this awesome world, which will be the basis of not one, not two, but three future trilogies, none of which will feature Vin as a main character, as far as I can tell. Ergo, I have no reason to read them. The story was great. Yeah. I'm not the, the the plot was fantastic. The, everything was well written, well constructed, brilliantly thought out. It was engaging. I read it all the way through and I I, I yeah. binged read this. But the ending was so unsatisfying for me because it, it calculated. I 
think that the most satisfying conclusion would be that we get to do all this world building, mm-hmm. that we get to set the stage for more trilogies set in this world so that all these other like peripheral characters get to have this idyllic world that is now left to them and all these these loose ends have been tied up, except Vin isn't there to enjoy it. She gets no lasting happiness that we see. Like, maybe if this had been done from her perspective and Vin is looking down on the world and saying, ah, it really is green. Wow, here's this flower that I saw a picture of and I I care about so much. Wow, now I can, like, look down on these people and I can have some measure of happiness. Yeah. yeah, but no! It's just, here's... <laughs> You're very passionate. Vin's good now. My queen, Vin! Okay. She needs... Kudos to Brandon Sanderson. He created a character I care this much about. That is not an easy thing to do, but it was the least satisfying ending possible. The, the world that he created, to me, does not matter one iota if Vin is not there to enjoy it. I could have gone with the post-apocalyptic world continuing in perpetuity as long as Vin was there and and i know i know that sanderson has a lot of ideas i mean we already have some ideas of how things go because he has one of his trilogies well i don't know if it's gonna be i actually don't know much about this because i had no interest in the series after (laughs) vin is now on this other plane and apparently doesn't get to see the okay we don't get any closure vin needs to be happy she needs more pretty dresses she needs to go to balls for forever anyway yeah i i know he has all these things planned out for how there's going to be more conflict in this world and that that's awesome but, like, in my mind, the only way I can keep sanity from how much of a miscalculation of what would be a, a satisfying ending to the reader that that was at the end, where I'm going to be satisfied with, with like, Breeze getting this amazing, awesome new world, like, that that's somehow going to be better than my seeing Vin at least have some sort of, like, closure of any sort. <laughs> I think that was such a miscalculation that the only way I could, like, deal with this, having loved the series so much, was to just X out books two and three. Those are no longer canon, in my head canon, death of the author and reader response and everything. So you cannot make me accept well, those as canon. The only canon book is the first book. After that, what happens is none of the other events. Vin goes to balls with Ellen for the rest of her life and she's happy and everything is yeah, good. And honestly, I don't know, from your description, it's actually, a, again, I don't think Sanderson meant for this at all to be to read this way, but it is, as a woman listening to this it's a tiny bit Mm -hmm. offensive to me that the female character who had all this power you know and who was the more protective figure which is a cool subversion of the usual trope right now is no longer the protective character and the male character is now the the front forward and center character who has all the powers (laughs) no no that that's not exactly what happens i mean because he he does have well I, I did get a little bit of a sense of that when it was like, oh, you have more raw power than me. Like, really? <laughs> really? Are you really going to do this? But then, but but you don't know how to use it. You, you actually kind of suck at it right now. I'm really good at it because I've had a lot of practice. I'm like, okay, that I we're hedging there. Mm, but It's still like, he still has more power. That's the thing. I know. Like, I, I'm just like, the, the, Vin is the special one. Vin is special. Well, yeah. Not you. You can't be special too, Ellen. Well, and I understand, like, not wanting to make the char- the, like, the character you've been following the whole time the chosen one or whatever, because that's a tired old trope, but I'm tired of the chosen one narrative. Well, and I think that's really the point I wanted to yeah. make, is that I think the miscalculation was in what I would be satisfied. He did build up that this world would be saved. Yeah. He did build up that we would get the green plants and the flower it ends on the flower and it, you, this was a good idea this was well crafted this was well put together but the miscalculation was in that i would be satisfied with the world yeah. and the world without its emotional anchor can never be satisfying that is the point i wanted to make world building it doesn't matter how elaborate how well planned out <laughs> his hemalurgy was awesome his his um alamancy was awesome his was it Ferrochemy was awesome? If I get that wrong, I, I apologize. <laughs> His world was interesting, but dude, I don't care about any of it if Vin is not at the center. Yeah. So, so I'm out. There's my note. <laughs> so don't don't do that, guys. 
With that done, uh, are you ready to learn more about the ongoing adventures of Sonadred and Double G Swag? Yeah, I want to learn more about Double G Swag, and I'm really interested in the, the uh, romantic and sexual tension between uh, Kithris and, and Sonadred. And I just want to be clear, I did not intend... <laughs> For this, I know I know there's a lot of queer coding of villains, and I promise you that was not twelve year old me's intent. I don't know that twelve year old me was like fully cognizant. Yeah, see, I was there when you were sexuality. I was there when you were twelve years old, and believe me, I I can vouch for that. Um, I was <laughs> I, I'm not gonna I'm gonna be honest here, John. I was actually really surprised when you started dating, like. <laughs> Why, thank you, Laura. It is a surprise that I would be a viable mate for any no, human no, no, being. That's not... I concur. No, 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 that wasn't my point. My point was you weren't really aware of that. And so, um, with that, we um, <laughs> as if as if reading my own horrible <laughs> fantasy story wasn't enough. Let's go into my dating life. I I definitely did not intend to queer code Kithris. In any way, shape, or form, if there is that there, I humbly apologize. Um, And I definitely would not do that today intentionally. We last left off as Sonajid was lured with a leather-bound long item that was given him by Kithris. And with this item, he he lured Sonajid to a place across the river on their marvelous reoccurring raft. And then he started to hear like screaming sounds as the light got really intense and Kithris revealed himself as some bad person. And the one female character thus far in the story, Sonadred's mother, Lady Rachel to you, ran off. She ran off to go uh, summon help because she saw Sonadred running away and was surprised to find herself knee deep in mud when she followed them. Also, I think this is the last mention we ever hear of Sonicred's mother, so she probably drowned in that mud. I can only hope that I did not do that. Because I haven't read this in well over 15 years, and this can totally surprise me. I think you did, John. I think that was the well, last we ever heard of, of Sonadred's mother. <laughs> Sonadred lay on the hard dirt ground, the cold light still enveloping him, but not the flood of blinding light that was haunting his shallow dreams. <laughs> his it, dreams are so shallow. His dreams, he's a very shallow person, Sonadred, on the hard dirt ground, but not the flood of blinding light that was haunting his shallow dreams. It was the dim, pale light that illuminated the world just enough that Sonadred could see his surroundings as moonlight should. <laughs> Looking up, he saw Kithris towering far over his head, pondering this. <laughs> Sonatred realized he was lying on his back. <laughs> Already! Okay, wow. We're right off. Get right, yeah. Dive right in. Okay, standing... It's that, that juicy, juicy Sonatred realizations that we've come to know and love. <laughs> standing quickly, he found that much to his surprise, he was level with Kithris. <laughs> Had he truly been nearly a head shorter only that morning... He was about to ask Kithris what had happened when Kithris leaned in for a kiss. Now, began to speak, <laughs> but not to Sonadred. How could this be? He asked no one in bewilderment, turning to face someone who was not there. The only way he could have survived that is if the master touched him. <laughs> oh, no. Keep going, um, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> How could the master have touched him? Mm-hmm. Only one of royal blood can survive such a dreadful touch. And the only one in this pathetic village with such blood is myself. He turned suddenly to face Sonadred. Who are you? He demanded with a tremble in his voice. Sonadred stood for a moment, shocked. Kithris did not wait for an answer. Oh, never mind that, said the older man with savage ferocity in his voice as he pulled out a long, cruel dagger. Cruel dagger. Cruel dagger. I'll see you dead all the same. Who am I? I don't know. I just kind of inserted (laughs) myself into the narrative. You'll die for your father's sins. It was then that Sonajid remembered the ancient sword that was tied to his belt and his hand reached for it as Kithris approached him steadily. His heavy, booted footfalls upon the stony earth 
tolling a bell of desperation <laughs> within Sandrin. He pulled desperately at the blade, but found it would not come loose of the leather sheath. This is the this is the sword that Kithris gave him, wasn't it? Uh yes, okay. yes. And this yeah. might just be very, very akin to the sword from uh, the Book of Three. Durnwin? You fool. Kithris hissed under his breath, close enough now that Sonadred could hear even this vehement whisper. Do you think I would give you a true blade? That sword is cursed. You will never be able to draw it. But it will always show me where you are. You can never escape me. And I will never stop haunting you. Oh. Um, might have just taken some uh, words from the Peter Jackson adaptation of the Lord of the Rings there. Okay. And with that, he clutched Sonder's tunic in one lanky fist. <laughs> One lanky fist and held the dagger high over his head with the other, spouting one last sentence. I will never stop haunting you for what your father did to me. Even in death will I haunt your every step. Suddenly, Kithris cried out. His eyes widened and his hand opened. Oh, the dagger clattering to two upon the two stone, upon two upon the stony ground on which I thought it was dirt. It was it dirt. <laughs> I know this is a small nitpicky thing, but darn it, this is important. But his other still clenched his other what? Still clenched Sonadred's tunic so hard, with so hard that his knuckles went white. <laughs> he stumbled and fell nearly on his face. Pulling Sonadred down with him, oh. Sonadred's hands came to came up to stop his fall, but landed on Kithris's back, <laughs> which suddenly twisted as Kithris rolled out of the way of Sonadred. They basically fell facing each other, and it's like one of those really awkward like rom com moments where they like fall to the ground together and they're staring each other in the face, and you think they might be about to kiss, but you're not sure. There he is, called out Double G Swag's familiar voice. Don't let him get away! Sonadrin looked up in time to see three stone hurled through the air above his head. There's just a stone with a number three painted on it. (laughs) Three stone, there it is. Kithris nimbly dodged the missiles as they whistled by and sprinted off into the haunted woods around them. I guess they're haunted now. Two other men from the village began to follow, but Swag called them back, saying, You're sooner to die in that forest than find him. Let the traitor meet his doom there. They all stopped and just stared at him in confusion as they tried to discern his grammatically confusing (laughs) sentence. (laughs) You're sooner to die. Uh, okay. Sonadred hoisted himself up and turned to see Double G and what he had mustered Mm. of a village guard in a few days' notice. A few days' notice? In a few days' notice. No, 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 no. Sonadred began training today for the (laughs) village guard. You all right? Sonadred? Swagga called, holding up a dying torch. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) You've got blood on your hands. Sonadred looked down in the flickering torchlight to see that his hands had been stained with blood when they fell upon Kithrus's back. He looked further down to see drops of blood trailing off into the woods. Kithrus's trail. He went that way, Sonadred cried, pointing at the trail. Follow the blood! He's bleeding still! He's bleeding! Have I established that? He's still bleeding! Blood! <laughs> I... One of the villagers said, I slung the stone to its mark. Oh, cool, dude. Apparently, I thought that was um, impactful enough to end the paragraph. I don't know how he says to follow them, but we see in the next paragraph that they didn't follow him. I was like, oh, good for you, dude. They just, like, pat him on the back and then they... Dude, dude, yeah. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) Well done. Kithris lay quietly just outside the torchlight. And when those words reached his ears, he murmured, he murmured. in a deep voice, like a madman's babble. <laughs> oddly specific. Oddly specific. Okay. The stone, the stone hit its mark, but the mark will return, and then no stone will under it. I don't know what I'm talking about. As he spoke, a tall, spindly being appeared, black against the light of the torch, yet its eyes blazed with an inner flame. It hissed something in a snake-like language, and Kithris nodded. Yes, pet. He said, you'll have your feast soon enough. I need only follow it as long as needed. The thing hissed again, and Kithris replied, in the meantime, 
prepare your army for the attack on the village. These peasants, he paused to wipe the blood off his shoulder and held it up to see, may prove to be a greater challenge than they seem. Okay. Sonodrid yeah. hadn't counted on his mother being among the ranks <laughs> of men in the village guard. Oh, she did! Okay, she's back in the story. Good job. I should have had more faith. I should have had more faith in you, John. I'm sorry. You really shouldn't have, actually. I mean... <laughs> but when she ran up to embrace him, he found he had little choice but to accept that fact. Darn it! My mom is cramping my style. A woman is in the ranks of men in the village. <laughs> Ah! I, I thought he'd killed you, she wept into his shoulder. He nearly had you dead. <laughs> Your father. Wait, what? what? He nearly he had you my... dead. He nearly, he killed my father? What? <laughs> and you knew this all along? If he had, you would be next <laughs> to die, Sonadrid said. I love you, mom, by the way. Great that you're helping out. Only then realizing he should not have. Really? Really? She wept harder, and Sonadred comforted her. Heading back to the large ferry that Swag's men had built, it made him miss. He thought of the raft, and his heart ached. But Swag himself did not board immediately, for he was yet on the knoll, picking up the stained hooded coat that Kithris had... Kithris... Kithris had discarded, and also the dagger he had dropped. Something crumpled like paper in one of the coat pockets, but Swag did not investigate. Instead, he leapt upon the ferry just as it cast off across the river. (laughs) They were going to leave him behind. Carrying the coat and dagger with him. Oh, oh, good. Oh, good. I'm. Oh, yes. That night, Swag opened the pocket near the fireplace in his house, located in the security of the village square, capitalized. Inside was a folded paper which Swag unwrapped carefully to read that which Kithris had scrawled upon it in a spidery hand. I am Kithris, son of Cordus, son of Lord Corin of Narthazel, son of High Lord Kiran of Lindala, whose father's father was the great-grandson of King, <laughs> King Sonadred, all one word, of Nading. Oh my gosh, what an amazingly unexpected like development that there was an ancient King Sonadred. I'm your father's cousin's sister's second roommate or something. Yeah, which makes us absolutely nothing. Chapter two. This is all chapter one? That was chapter one. That was chapter one? (laughs) Now we're in chapter two, the massacre of Narthazel. The days went by without a sign of Kithris or the cloaked figure, but anxiety was mounting in the small village. Something was coming. Precisely what, they could not say. As the village guard was rising in power, the soldiers became less fearful. They began to send scouting parties deeper and deeper into the forest, and never did they lose a single man. Thus encouraged, they found the forest less dangerous than they had. It was one of the deepest roots that Sonadred found himself lost and separated from his party. What else is what? new? Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> the light was, as was common in the deep wood, almost completely blotted out by the ceiling of branches and leaves overhead. The leafy bushes... The leafy bushes. The leafy bushes covered the ground, so no path was visible, and the twisted oaks wound around the few gaps in the leaves above him to provide a hauntingly beautiful surrounding. The dark green was all around him, the cool, moist air rejuvenating his tired muscles and reassuring his worried mind. It was also really good for his skin. I guess he's just in, like, spa here in Spa-land. <laughs> As if in a dream, he walked around his surrealistically beautiful surroundings, with his eyes half-closed and foolish smiles creeping up his waning face. Okay. <laughs> he strayed far from the narrow path that had been dug, strayed from the landmarks he knew. He did not know where he was going, only that he was going south. The deep shadows troubled him not. They were filled only with mystery and intrigue. (laughs) It was not until hours of straying from the path that he began to realize he had done so at all, and he was suddenly filled with fear. Turning around, he sped back along the path he had cut through the underbrush, his heart beating and his mind panicking. As he cursed himself for losing his way, he noticed a cold blue glow, a cold breeze blew, moving the grass like waves on the ocean. 
The glow was emanating from an empty patch in the grass where a circle of stones had been drawn. In the midst of them burned a bluish-white sphere of light, covering a few feet off the ground. But as Sonadred beheld this, the sphere suddenly shot up at his face. (laughs) Crying out, he dodged the fiery missile, hearing it hum as it passed him with great speed, but he did not dodge well, and it brushed his face. The the cold was intense, like ice striking him and leaving its freezing water on his face. Turning sharply, he saw the sphere hurtle into the forest, leaving behind a glimmering trail of silvery sparks, fading away as the fell, as the fell slowly like snow. In wonder and surprise, he followed the spheroid glow (laughs) at a run. Around him, he saw a vast multitude of spheres flying in the same direction, toward a landmark in the woods that was not yet visible. Sprinting through the ebony green wood, lit only by the unnatural pale glow of the spheres, he felt a chill go down his spine, and he realized with a jolt how much noise he was making. Slowing to a cautious walk, he hunched his shoulders slightly and crept through the wood. The spheres flew beyond his sight, and for a moment he found himself completely without light of any kind. After his eyes adjusted, though, he could see a glow through the bushes and trees ahead of him. Yeah? Like, exactly like we just did. Exactly. Darkness, yeah. Darkness had crept up on him and now fell about him, leaving the blue light to light up a small clearing in the woods. The silver light from the moon cast thick shadows on everything around Sonadrid, and all was in shades of gray. But in the unnatural blue light... (laughs) Are you taking notes? There will be a quiz. (laughs) (laughs) Take (laughs) notes. It's like a puzzle from Mist. (laughs) The blue light, the gray light, the light in the woods, the darkness. He saw something that made his breath catch in his throat. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Kithris hovered perhaps an inch or two off the ground, the light gathering around him, swirling over his head and back to the ground forming a smoky spiral around him. His face was no longer weathered and old. In fact, it was, in fact, quite smooth and handsome. Oh. Yet his hair was still white and flailed about <laughs> him as though he was caught in a strong wind that no one else felt. Yet flailed. His flailing flailed. hair. The flailing hair. Yet more shocking was that standing in a circular formation around him were short yet unhealthily thin creatures. Mm. That's what Sonadred noticed. He was very worried about their health. <laughs> They're unhealthy. En- encased in metal armor that seemed too heavy for their frail bodies to bear. Oh, the poor things. Oh, those dears. Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> You have your orders, Kithris said in a voice that made Sonadred jump. The voice was quite deep and smooth, yet not booming or thundering. Sonadred somehow got the feeling that he had come in the middle of a speech, the sort of speech generals used. (laughs) Just to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) The village is hardly defended at all. Your numbers will overwhelm them, and you know who we are after. Get that, Sonadred? Kithris suddenly looked up at Sonadred, who flinched under his gaze, and yet Kithris had apparently only looked in his direction, for he did not point him out. When he averted his eyes, Sonadred thought again about the speeches generals had made in Legends. Speeches to sadden. (laughs) And speeches to inspire. Speeches to inspire men to kill. His blood ran cold, and he scrambled away from the clearing as fast as he could. He cursed as he realized the noise he made, and then sprinted. When he noticed he was not being pursued, he looked behind him to see the short creature standing over the body of a deer. (laughs) Crooked arrows protruding from it as it kicked weakly, and he turned back and slowed his run, reassured that the deer had likely saved his life. Somehow. (laughs) Oh no! It was noble of that deer to throw itself (laughs) in the path of that arrow. Truly nature. The nature of the deer, yes. Yes. Oh, it didn't fail me yet, Adam West. Okay. (laughs) Apparently he had startled it and it had charged into the clearing and the creatures assumed the deer had made the racket. It's giving you a PowerPoint presentation about how all these (laughs) Wow, it's really convenient that Sonadred came up on them as right as they were talking like that. Also, Uh I'm, I'm not sure that qualified as a speech. 
Not really. It was generally more like a list. Any, anything that you can respond to in text form with K is not a speech. Creeping to what he had judged based on the position of the moon to be north <laughs> toward the village, he found his way along the silver-lit leaves, a silent path. <laughs> You're... Okay, mm, anyway. That sentence was a silent path. <laughs> yeah. Sure enough, he came to the river, and the village was only about a tenth of a mile downstream. He was disappointed to see that his raft wasn't on it. <laughs> Slipping into the frigid waters, he could already smell the aroma of baking bread and tobacco from the inn. It's their famous tobacco <laughs> bread. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yum. And the gentle uh. spinning of the worn arms on the old mill, regularly blotting out the moon. Feeling slightly relieved, he let the current carry him silently across the river. <laughs> it's, it's the kind of current that like transports you to back and forth along the banks of the river and not down the river. Yes, it's a very it's a convenient transportation system, really. That's why his raft works so well. <laughs> it did. You just hop on that raft when you're on the land and it just carries you straight there. <laughs> it's like yeah, anyway. Uh, he let the current carry him silently across the river and down to the wooded wooden stalls, wooden walls, <laughs> sorry, that the village guard had erected. The town was hardly fortified, but was better off than it had been. The logs stacked on top of one another, <laughs> held up by long stakes. That's what a fence is. Thank you for describing <laughs> that. <laughs> Would not withstand yes. more than a simple marauding party. <laughs> Basically, they're crappy builders, (laughs) is what we're getting from this. Uh, He floated to the shallows and waded from there out of the water to the village, soaked thoroughly with water streaming down him on all sides, his shoulder-length hair blinding him temporarily. Okay. The men sleeping at the parting of the walls woke with a start and quickly snatched their spears from among the logs, stiffening as Sonajit approached. Now I'm just picturing a pile of, like, logs. That's the wall. It's just a pile of That's logs. That's kind of stakes. the impression I'm getting, <laughs> yes. yes. Who goes there? Asked the shorter of the two. Apparently, Sonadred was unrecognizable <laughs> by this point, sopping wet as he was. That's the mm. perfect disguise. You just get wet and nobody can recognize you. I am Sonadred Hrall, possibly the first recruit in the guard, Sonadred replied, wiping his sticking hair out of his face so that they could see. <laughs> the second guard held up a torch. If I may be so bold, the guard started frowning in thought. <laughs> may I ask you if you've been training extensively of Wow, your biceps are just, wow, what's your secret, man? <laughs> no, that is exactly what he's asking, actually. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> oh, keep, keep going. I recall you were a mound stout in stature, <laughs> and though you are admittedly stout... <laughs> You are rather less so than I remember. You're still fat, but you're less fat. <laughs> you're less fat than you were. <laughs> Sonadred looked down at himself. He seemed no different to himself, but then the light was poor, and he did not regularly look at himself in mirrors. And I'm couldn't, sure. couldn't make such judgments on his own. And besides, there are more pressing things at hand. Yeah, it's good. You think? You think? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I must speak to Swag, he said, deciding to pretend the guard's remark had gone unnoticed. <clears throat> but it truly went very noticed, and he was super flattered. It hit It hit hard. There was a pause, and the shorter guard nodded, turning and motioning for Sonadred to follow. The inn was a tall building, the windows illuminated by the glowing within, and torches mounted on the wooden posts near the door. A grand structure compared to the rest in the village... Crappy village. <laughs> it was a very crappy village. Yeah. The guard knocked on the heavy wooden door and waited a moment or two. The door opened to reveal the crowded common room in which men were drinking and dancing, and women were standing in the corner, shaking their heads at the men's heads. The women are, they play a very important role in this patriarchal society. <laughs> to disapprove. <laughs> they they don't do anything about it or anything like that. You know, you guys should be protecting the village from the imminent threat, but whatever. <laughs> tisk tisk. Now I'm sitting here with a rolling pin. <laughs> they and they get all the women from the village every night to just come and stand in the corners to shake, <laughs> shake their heads their disapprovingly. Heads. That's exactly it. Yes, let's go to the nightly oh. disapproving. Anyway. <laughs> 
Swag Go is easily recognizable among the throng of men, his flaming <laughs> red beard and hair exploiting him from the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> no, Swag, you're being exploited! You're right. Yeah, this was an exploitation book. To be honest, though, I think this is the first time that we've that we've gotten anything of a real description of Swag. No, you're right. It is. It is exploited by his beard. Yeah. Um, uh, I also just parenthetically need to note that the the title of this book, I mean, Adzel. What the heck is Adzel? We've heard nothing about what Adzel is, but I think a much more appropriate and descriptive name of this book would be Throng of Men. <laughs> Throng of Men and yes. the raft that could. <laughs> the little raft that for some reason always could. Also, Kithris is like totally hot, guys. Kithris is a babe, and <laughs> Sonadrid is less fat than he used to be. <laughs> That's the blurb on the back of the cover. <laughs> on the dust jacket. <laughs> this is as much about Sonadrid's dieting as it is about, like, anything. It's like in that really serious hand-lettered dust jacket lettering. It's like Sonadrid was less fat than he used to be. <laughs> used to be. <laughs> um... Uh, Sonadred left the guard at the door and rushed over to Swag, his damp clothes giving him rashes. <laughs> his very delicate skin. <laughs> very. And sticking to him as he walked and rushed, I guess, also. Swag noticed Sonadred when he was within an arm's reach of him, uh, and he greeted him with a clap on the back. Sonadred, old boy, he roared. Where have you been? <laughs> Had an encounter with the river, I guess. Ha ha! Our village is in imminent danger. <laughs> he proceeded to order a drink for Sonadred, and they settled at a table. They're very, they're very casual about this whole situation. They're they? extremely jovial. Swagga, there's something of dire importance that I must tell you, Sonadred said, lowering his voice once the mugs arrived. Uh, Swagga, Sag. <laughs> The only way his name could get better. Um, <laughs> Swagga took a deep drink and leaned closer to Sonadred, listening. I was on deep patrol today, he began. Aye, Swag said slyly. You never did report back to the barracks to give us your findings, did you? That's all right. If anything had happened, the others in your patrol would have said summit. He has an accent now. Why do you sound like Hagrid? Anyway, I... I became separated from my patrol and was lost, Sonadred said defensively. Anyway, I stumbled across our old friend Kithris in my attempt to find my way back. Yes, the source of all the danger and suffering in our village. I just happened to yes. stumble across him in the village, in the forest. Our old friend. Yes. yes. He proceeded to tell the story of the impending ta attack on the village. <laughs> <laughs> and made a mention of Kithris's physical change. <laughs> in in very vivid detail. And he was handsome, and his hair flailed. Yes, his hair, yes. <laughs> Whoever his really is, <laughs> Sonadred said in a voice so low that it was nigh inaudible. Okay, I'm sorry. Nigh. Whoever his really is, <laughs> Sonadred said in a voice so low that it was nigh inaudible. He's been fooling us well enough for well over 50 years. Whatever his plans and intentions are, we have no clue. Clearly, this goes beyond a feud between him and my father. That we can worry about later, <laughs> said. <laughs> With as much authority as he could while mildly intoxicated. Our first priority is to defend the village. We were ready for a small band of miscreants, not an army. Wait, why were they ready for... a? Wait, what, what? Led them to think there'd be a small band of miscreants. What? Why did they even start? What was the catalyst for them even having a town guard in the first place? It, it was the fires, not miscreants. Yes, uh, mystical uh, happenings in the forest. Did we forget? And Kithris was okay. You went days without bathing. <laughs> so he paused for a moment. Sonadred, you know the old stories better than we do. How did your old hero manage to fortify his town? Because <laughs> we don't know. We're really bad mm. builders. Yeah, well, I mean, our walls suck. All so. we've got is a pile of logs on the edge of the village. 
<laughs> and guards who fall asleep, and when they wake up, the first thing they ask is about your diet. Sonadred pondered this for a moment or two. It seemed fitting to bring up the original Sonadred at this point, for such feats as the one they were about to attempt had not been attempted, or at least succeeded, in... For centuries, save by him. <laughs> Could you have been a little more garden pathy with that sentence? <laughs> a plan slowly began forming in Sonadred's mind, and one that frightened him. He was not the kind to think up such things. And so, as he did, a chill ran down his spine and he paled. Is something wrong? Swagga asked, furrowing his brow in concern. Sonadred shook his head and began speaking. Very important that we note that he began speaking. Yes. The beasts will need to cross the river in order to directly assault the village, he said slowly. The beasts, no, he said slowly, and they know that we will fire upon them as they do so, meaning that they either have another plan of attacking or they have an inexhaustible supply of soldiers. It is very likely that they will cross the river at a point where we cannot see them from the village and attack us from the side. Swag nodded. What happens then? He asked, as though the serious topic were sobering him by the minute. It wasn't, of course. <laughs> <clears throat> I am afraid that we cannot win this battle by merely fighting, Sonadred said, but before Swag could say anything, he continued, Therefore, we must use any means necessary to preserve the lives of our people. I have only one proposition. We clear away the remaining outlying trees around the village giving them no place to hide. We then soak the earth with ale! Wait, what? <laughs> we soak the earth with ale, Laura, is the plan. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> we have um, lots of that, obviously. Well, evidently. Yeah. Like, uh, um, wow. <laughs> the plan is to soak the earth with ale. And when the <laughs> attack comes, we light the tips of our arrows with flame. <laughs> As opposed to something else. And we set the ground itself aflame. <laughs> we must be sure to cover the ground with dried grass and branches, so the fire will last long enough to frighten the beasts away. We must then empty the village and travel to the nearest safe city and remain there until the threat has passed. Swagga took this all in with no small degree of amazement. Exonitus <laughs> cunning. His cunning. <laughs> His cunning. Um, that has to go down in history as <laughs> the dumbest plan. Because what would happen, I'm pretty sure the ale would help nothing. In fact, it might make it even harder to catch things on fire. <laughs> because there's not enough alcoholic content in ale, but 12-year-old me had no notion of this. This is not cunning. Nope, this is really... So basically, he's going to try and set the town on fire with ale, which is not going to work anyway, but... It don't, his plan does get better, though. Swag asked one question. How will we know it has passed? And for once, Senator had an answer. Don't you see? We won't know. We must never return to this place, for it has been cursed by whatever foul power Kithris possesses. We will be banished from our own homes, but I believe everyone here will be willing to trade their homes for their lives. I th you just said that you would just remain here. You wouldn't remain. In we would remain in the cities until the threat had passed. Uh huh. Yes. And now I'm saying we're gonna burn down the village and run. Okay. That's a lot to ask of a bunch. Okay. <laughs> it's a brilliant plan, Laura. Trust me. Okay. Fine. That's, you know what? Son yeah, you're the, so cunning, Sonic. Our, our battle plan is we're going to uh, soak the ground in ale, cut down all the trees, burn everything, and run away. <laughs> That's our plan. Basically, and we'll never come my, back ever again. My cunning knows no bounds. Also, um, I just looked up the alcohol content of uh, ale. Yeah. It's typically between 0.5 to 2.8%. <laughs> so they would actually basically guarantee that nothing would catch fire by soaking the ground in ale. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> okay. okay. So this is the dumbest plan. Yes, it, um, it is the dumbest plan. <laughs> oh boy. And so it was that the forest surrounding the village was hewn down. And made into a vast wall around the village, burying the smaller one beneath it. 
<laughs> the wall was crappy enough they could build another crappy wall around it. Yes. More piles of logs. The day the scouts announced that the enemy was moving forward, all the ale the village could spare, what with swag amongst them... <laughs> swag! <laughs> Stop <Man>. drinking the <laughs> ale! <laughs> swag was poured out onto the fields around the walls with much straw and branches speckling the earth. The sun crept across the sky, and no sign of an enemy was seen. It was not until the last bleeding rays of light the sun had died that the first torches were seen in the distance. Swag let out a great cry, and the sentries struck their vast bells, alerting all those who were to fight to take their places on the wall. For the wall now had a ramp that led to the battalions above, with room for soldiers and their equipment. Oh, okay. Thank you for the description. They nice. had made a banner under Sonadred's direction, for banners were a sign of unity and, in military oh. cases, competence. Really? So, the flag's gonna make you do well, guys. Just, um, it's like it's like Timothy Mouse and his like magic feather. Exactly. <laughs> Is that what we're seeing here? The banner was a cloth of black set with a crown and three stars. The very design that Sonadred the Great had used in his conquest, which earned him the throne of Narthazel. He, too, had saved a village from such an onslaught, though he used his own elite army to do so. Every man stood at his post, bow in hand. I guess they all have bows. I don't know where they got them. And a torch mounted on a post next to him, (laughs) poised and prepared to fight. The torches were poised, yes. The sun had set entirely, and there was no moon. The stars giving no enlightenment (laughs) as to their enemy's position. The silence was deafening. The hearts of many were beating to the rhythm of the approaching torches. What? What? Wait, wait, so why do you need the stars to tell you where they are if they have torches? Exactly! <laughs> the torch, the stars don't even give any light! The only testimony to the oncoming war, to their lives that were about to be lost. Sonadred's own heart was in his throat, and he began to feel ill. All right there, Sonadred, came, t- came a voice from behind him. He started with surprise and spun to face Swagga, mirth clearly visible on his face from Sonadred's leap of fright. Jeez, Swag, this is a life and death matter. What's the what's wrong with you? At least Sonadred has stopped doing things without much difficulty. Also, John, I'm you don't have very many characters in this story. Like it's No, I have uh, two or three. You ha- you just have you have Sonadred and you have Swag and you have Kithris. Yeah, and I, I don't really count Lady Rachel. No, she's not. She's in it. T- I think we've seen the last of her appearances in... in I do. Yes. Yes, fine, thank you, Senator said, breathing heavily. Swagic grinned. I'll tell you, lad, he said. And Senator rolled his eyes. Ugh! Whenever Swagaga <laughs> told any lads anything... <laughs> 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 it nearly always became a speech... Sure enough, he continued in a meaningful tone. This battle will be right up your alley. It's just like the old stories. A group of valiant knights defending their keep against a traitor. Valiant knights? Senator asked, grinning. About a five-score band of farmers and villagers. Very reassuring. Thank you, Melton. On that cliffhanger. Are your hearts pounding in your throats? Do, are you beginning to feel ill? Yeah. <laughs> Are the, are the stars not enlightening you as to your enemy's position? Well, just watch for the torches approaching for our next episode. <laughs> and we will be back with more Stinklings. 